Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Well, we're in this series, Unfinished, and we're looking at the uh, life of the early church. And the church has been born with this wonderful uh, word from Jesus himself that we're to be people of power and people of spirit. We're meant to go out and be witnesses, and we're meant to be witnesses everywhere. And it begins to happen begins to happen. You get to Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit comes, and uh, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in tongues, and God does this supernatural thing that I don't think we've given enough thought to at times. But everybody in the crowd, because they've come from all over the world to be there at that season, it's Pentecost, it's a festival. People have come to Jerusalem. And the Spirit of God comes on these people, and they're hearing people speak in their own language. Huh. How'd that guy learn to speak Italian? How come he knows how to talk Coptic? Where did they learn the Arabic language? I mean, God is working. God is moving. It made a huge impact. They became witnesses uh, to the gospel that went all over the world. Great things are happening. The church is growing, and there's this uh, wonderful building of community taking place. Acts chapter 3, I haven't told you about that yet. They're they're going to the temple uh, in the morning to attend prayer meeting. That's a great idea. Going to the temple to pray in the morning, and there's a lame man there. Pastor Yasmin talked about it last week, and that man gets healed, and he goes walking and leaping and praising God. The church is born, and everything is happening. The church is humming. The church is humming, making a difference. And then we get to a word in verse number, chapter 5 at verse 1. But. 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 All of this is happening. All these wonderful things are happening. And then we get to one word, the beginning of chapter 5. But. Right before that, we'd been introduced to Barnabas. Barnabas is one of the heroes of the faith, one of these loving, uh, respected leaders in the early church. His nickname was Son of Encouragement, and, and he's... He's made a difference, and he has just sold some property, and he came and he gave everything to the church, sold the property, gave all the money to the church. And then we get to, but, 
but but we don't want God to write but over our church. We don't want God to write but over our lives. All these wonderful things happening, but. But Ananias and Sapphira saw all the attention that Barnabas was getting, and he says, we got some property, we'll sell that too. And they listed it with Century One, and it sold very, very quickly, and they got a whole pile of cash. I mean, they got more than they were actually expecting to get. And they looked at it and held it in their hands and said, well, I know we told the church people we'd give it all to the church like Barnabas, but <laughs> that cottage up at the lake could use some repairs. And I'm getting tired of that boat. It's getting a little old. <laughs> and Sapphira said, my wardrobe's getting a little skimpy. And they kept some of it for themselves. But they came to church and church service, and when it was offering time, they came forward and they pretended it was all like they said they were going to give. And Peter said, what are you doing that for? You didn't have to do that. Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? And Ananias drops dead immediately. Dead, just like that. And some guys come in and they wrap them in a sheet, at least that's what the New Living Translation says, and carry them out and bury them. His wife shows up three hours late, wondering why he didn't come home for tea and uh, flatbread, and uh, says, I better go to church, see what's happening. Maybe God's really working there. Maybe they're having a long church. And she gets there, and Peter says, uh, did you guys really get this much money? How could you only gave that amount when you said you were going to give it all? And Sapphira drops dead, just like that. <laughs> and they wrap her in a sheet and go bury her beside her husband. Quite the story. But. So Pastor Jordan and I have talked about that this week and uh, really tried to figure out why did this but happen? Like, what's the story behind the story? And I think we've kind of come to a conclusion that there's at least three things going on underneath the surface that we need to be protecting our hearts from. So why don't you help us there, Pastor Jordan? Dig in and help us unwrap this butt. Sounds good. I'll do my best. Uh, the first point that we're going to make uh, this evening is that Christians um, should not pursue uh, satisfaction for themselves. And uh, this pursuit of uh, personal satisfaction... It should honestly be surprised to no one, I would say, that the culture which we live in really encourages us sometimes to look out for ourselves. Would you say that's fair? It encourages us to get ahead or to be comfortable. Uh, what is often not overly communicated sometimes, though, in all that is that in doing so, sometimes people get hurt and sometimes people get forgotten and sometimes people get trampled over and sometimes people suffer as a result of our trying to get ahead. And so where would I ever get the idea that our culture suggests that we look out for ourselves? Well, let me just look at the world of advertising just for a moment here this evening, today. Um, let's look at a couple slogans of a few companies and, uh, and how they come at us in their advertising, getting us to buy products. Burger King tells you, have it. 
your way. I was hoping someone was going to finish it for me. Uh, YouTube says to broadcast yourself. Uh, Visa says, this is a new one for them, it's everywhere you want to be. Uh, Philip says, innovation for you. Air Canada says, your world awaits, and Pier 1 Imports, their new slogan is, this is me. And I would argue that you don't have to look far in culture to be encouraged that what really matters is you. Your comfort, your happiness, your success, your way, if you will. The trouble with the message that the culture gives us is that it often, I think, clashes with the culture of the kingdom of heaven. That's for sure. Which Jesus came to establish. And we see it very much here in this story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira are examples of those who pursue personal satisfaction to the neglect of those that they were in community with, the early church. And Acts 4, as Pastor John mentioned, tells us about the generosity of Barnabas and, and, and how he gave everything from the proceeds of the sale of his home to the church community. And it seems that Ananias and Sapphira also wanted the same kind of recognition in their lives. The problem is, is that they didn't want to actually give their proceeds to the community. They wanted to keep some for themselves and make it appear as though they gave it all. And we see that they chose to serve themselves. They, so to tr they chose to serve their own interests. There's a hypocrisy in their actions and how they're trying to present themselves. And hypocrisy creates a disconnect between culture to be encouraged that what really matters is you. Your comfort, your happiness, your success, your way, if you will. The trouble with the message that the culture gives us is that it often, I think, clashes with the culture of the kingdom of heaven. That's for sure. Which Jesus came to establish. And we see it very much here in this story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira are examples of those who pursue personal satisfaction to the neglect of those that they were in community with, the early church. And Acts 4, as Pastor John mentioned, tells us about the generosity of Barnabas and, and, and how he gave everything from the proceeds of the sale of his home to the church community. And it seems that Ananias and Sapphira also wanted the same kind of recognition in their lives. The problem is, is that they didn't want to actually give their proceeds to the community. They wanted to keep some for themselves and make it appear as though they gave it all. And we see that they chose to serve themselves. They, so to tr they chose to serve their own interests. There's a hypocrisy in their actions and how they're trying to present themselves. And hypocrisy creates a disconnect between what we say we are and who we actually are. There's a disconnect between what we say we are and who we actually are. And that disconnect is where all power and effectiveness and attractiveness evaporates. And that gap is seen between who we are and who we claim to be. And of course, God knows that and God saw that. And so they wanted personal satisfaction more than they wanted to have integrity to the community in which they were a part of. And it reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Jesus said this. He said, be careful not to practice your acts of right, your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And Jesus instructs us to, to do good works, but don't do them for man to see, but for your Father in heaven. 
Don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, is how he put it. And he talks about this in three areas of life. He says in your giving, whether that's giving alms, whether that's giving financially or material gifts, not to do this. He says when we pray, when we go to God, don't do this. In our relationship with God, don't babble, don't try to sound so spiritual to impress other people. Simply just talk to your father. He says this in relation to our own body even, when we talk about fasting. Uh, when, we, when we're in the place of fasting, it's supposed to be something that we keep between ourselves and God. You know, when we, when we call it fast, I'm not going to wear a shirt that says fasting. Look at me, right? Uh, not exactly what Jesus was asking us to do. And in all of these things, the Lord communicated that if we did these things in order to be seen by man, then we'd get that reward of being seen by man, which is pity, which is small compared to what we'd get from the Father. But if we did them for God and we had a lack of self-advertisement attached to them, then our Father who sees us will reward us. And so this whole event in Acts chapter 5 seems to have sent a message about the nature of holiness in the Christian community. Integrity would matter. You wouldn't be able to act like a Pharisee in this new kingdom. And so we really need to guard our hearts, be on watch for the temptation to pursue our own personal satisfaction. In the book of Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, we read the words, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Clearly, what happens inwardly in our lives, church, matters to God. It's easy to fool people sometimes, isn't it? It's easy sometimes to put on a good outward appearance, and in this case, like Ananias and Sapphira, to act as though they're giving more than they really are, because we live in a society that values appearances, that wants praise. And so we want to present ourselves in the best light at all times, even if it means lying or stretching the truth to make it happen in this case. I remember uh, buying a house once, and I remember doing the inspection of the home, looking around the place, hiring someone to do that. And uh, when it came time to sell the home three or four years later, I noticed that the fence was a little bit worse for wear, if you get what I'm saying. And uh, I recognized that the previous owner, what he'd actually done is just done a really nice paint job over that thing. Uh, but inside the fence was rotting. Inside the fence was breaking apart. And I, I couldn't even really blame him because he did such a good job painting the thing that he really fooled me, right? I would have had no idea how bad that fence was. So good on him in that moment, I guess, right? But I think sometimes we approach life that way, even in our walk with Jesus. We want to present ourselves a certain way outwardly, but what is it that's happening inwardly? Because that matters to God. That really matters to God. You know, you could probably get away with putting on a good outward representation for a while, but eventually it's going to catch up to you. And what's happening on the inside will eventually be visible. On the outside is how Jesus put it. And this is why intentions matter. This is why our motivations matter. This is why we can't fool God. You see, the religious teachers of these times wanted to, want to appear as good and holy and really above people, but inwardly their lives completely missed it and they were disoriented. And their lives were far from the freedom Jesus came to bring. And Jesus suggests that you could claim to be doing all the good things on the outside, you could look like you have it all together. You could put a good coat of paint over it, if I can say it like that. And yet, eventually, what's happening on the inside will manifest itself. 
eventually that will be seen. And that's what really matters. And so I think this is a warning to us today that if we ever get this idea that we just need to dress up, put on a smile, do some deeds publicly, be very Christian on the outside, and in doing so will be noticed as God's servants, I think the truth is, is that Jesus looks deeper than that. He sees our hearts. He sees our true motivation. And our job isn't to pursue our own personal satisfaction or our own praise, but we pursue pleasing him. Ananias and Sapphira want to appear in a certain light. They want to pursue what would satisfy them, and they gave no thought to other people. And the message of church, of the culture of, of our church, should never, ever be confused with the mess. Sorry, the message of our culture that we live in in the world should never, ever be confused with the culture of the kingdom. That's what I was trying to say. And in the end, all this does is leads to us being disoriented from one another, which leads us into our second point that we want to make today. And that's just this, that Christians must not devalue the importance of community. The devaluation of community happens when we insist on our own comforts and that those should go above the needs of those around us. You see, according to Luke, one of the most direct results of the grace of God at work is people taking care of each other's material needs. That's good. Grace to Luke is not just an abstract theological concept, but a reality that leads people to take action on behalf of others. In the book of Titus chapter 2, we read this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace has implications. Grace leads you somewhere. Grace turns away from the ways and values of the world. Grace affects our behavior towards other people. And sometimes when we talk about things, sometimes when we talk about politics especially, what you can pick up on is this idea that many people seem to believe that it is up to us to make our own way in this world. And that we're to look after ourselves and that you don't need anyone else or you don't need any help and that you're responsible for you and I'm responsible for me and we have this disconnect between each other. And living in North America, I think it's easy to be able to nod and say, well, that makes sense. That's kind of what we've experienced. But it's interesting that one of the main things that Luke wants to communicate to us about the early church and the beginning of Acts is that in the early church, you weren't on your own. But other people are looking out for you. Others care for you. Others encourage you. Others spur you on. Others had your back. Others would step in and make sure you had what you needed. And the Apostle Paul to the church, to the Philippians said this, he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so we learn quickly that this is a counter-cultural kingdom that Jesus is establishing. In our relationships with each other, we are to have the same mindset of Jesus who came down to earth to love, save, and rescue us. And so it's all about me might be the message you find in our current culture, but it certainly isn't the culture 
of God's kingdom. Our culture that we live in today might teach us about individualism, but the kingdom of God calls us to loving community because we can't do life alone. And when we decide that life's all about me, my comforts, my personal satisfaction, we find ourselves in a place like Ananias and Sapphira did, where we really start to devalue the community, where we start to pursue our own satisfaction. And something tells me that this is something that God is not going to be smiling about. Pastor John? Yeah, so this church is humming, but... But there was this thing happening underneath. Christians were pursuing their own personal satisfaction. Christians were devaluing the importance of community and looking after their own needs. And there's a third thing, I think, that really contributes to the but. And the third thing, and I'm just going to talk about it briefly, was God was beginning to be taken lightly, at least by some. I'm going to talk about that, but I want to take you back to what the author of this book said. But he said it in his first book. Remember, this is really the second book. the first book was about the Acts of Jesus. Luke wrote it. Now we're talking with the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But in the Acts of Jesus, uh, Luke wrote this in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 and 33. Luke 12, verses 32 and 33. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, rather, oops, that's the wrong verse. Luke chapter 12, verses 32 and 33. I'll read it to you. Luke chapter 12. Verses 32 and uh, 33. One more page back. Uh, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen uh, gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven. Now Luke records that in his first book because when Jesus said that, that really stuck out to him. Don't be pursuing a bunch of stuff down here. This is not what life is about. Uh, It's the pattern we see in the, the early church here. And Ananias and Sapphira get a little mixed up on it, and they pretending they're not pursuing their own things and they're selling their possessions. At offering time, they present their offering. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 5 and uh, the first part of verse number 4. Acts chapter 5 and the first part of verse number 4. Peter says this to Ananias, who comes to bring the offering. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it sold, was it not under your control? The point is really simple. Nobody's making you do this, Ananias. There's nothing in the law, nothing in the Christian rule book that says you have to give everything. (laughs) Nobody's made you do this. What's going on here? 
This, my friends, is one of the great laws of Christian life. It's called the law of Christian freedom, where we are free to make decisions about what we're going to do and how we're going to give and how we're going to worship. But here he was so controlled by this need to look good, he cared more about what men were thinking of him than the fact that God was there. And God was seeing what he was doing. Began to take God lightly. Read on in that second half of the verse. Why is it that you conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. I wonder, friends, if we think enough about the fact that there's just not 30 people sitting here right now. God is here. God is here. God is with us. I, I wonder if we think about that enough. Or, or this is, wow, I can't wait to get to church. I'm going to see some Christians. I'm going to see some people. I hardly see any people anymore. This is going to be exciting. People are here. And we take lightly the fact that this is a gathering for the sake and the honor and unto the name and glory of God. And I I'll just pretend I'm giving. Nobody will know. Yes, somebody did know. <laughs> somebody did know. And verse 5 says, as Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all the people. <laughs> I, uh, I know a lot of believers like to rewrite this story or ignore this story or pretend it's not in the Bible. Uh, because they want to make God more sellable. Hmm. Friends, God is not for sale. And we don't have to make them into some fuzzy, soft uh, image that makes us more comfortable in talking about him. God is not for sale. And this story, whether it fits into your image of God or not, is the hand of God at work. I'm going to quickly wind up so Pastor Jordan can wind up, but Matthew 27, verse 46, Jesus is on the cross, and on the cross for the very first time in his life, he feels sin, and he takes upon himself the sin of the whole world. He took on himself that day the sin of everybody who was alive at that time, but it was bigger than that. He took upon himself the sin of everybody who'd ever lived before, and he took upon the sin of everybody who lived after. He takes upon himself the sin of the world, the sin of all peoples from all generations, and then he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is it that God had forsaken him? God had forsaken him because uh, God must flee from the presence of sin. Genesis chapter 1, 
interesting. Chapter 2, sorry, verse 17. Uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you will surely die. What does sin do? Makes you die, but why does it make you die? It doesn't say here, in the day you eat of it I will kill you. No, it says in the day <laughs> you eat from it you will surely die. Why is that? Because you cut off God's presence, which is where life comes from. And Ananias and Sapphira, and thank God it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen this abruptly. Some of us probably wouldn't leave the sanctuary tonight if it did. <laughs> thank God it doesn't always happen this abruptly. But when we take God lightly and we solidify our hearts against him and think his views and his opinions and the fact he calls some things sin, sin, we say, oh, that doesn't matter. We introduce death to our lives. Ananias and Sapphira fell dead. The story didn't have to end this way, though, Pastor Jordan. It's kind of sad. It could have had a much different ending. Yep. No, I agree. This, this story would have had a much different ending if they had just been honest about how much money they want to give. Um, if they told the truth, been straightforward, and admitted to only giving part of the money, but instead it has an unfortunate ending, and, and, and rather than being authentic in their relationship to the church community, they chose to lie and please themselves, and all the while tried to look spiritual in the process. And so at the end of the day, this story could have had a different ending had they just been honest. And so what is something I think we could take practically from this story today? I just want to leave with us. Um, is that I think that this story elevates the importance of community in the lives of believers. I think it elevates the importance of community. It elevates the status of community, recognizing the value of when people come together and trust one another. And it reveals the consequences of decisions like pretending or trying to appear a certain way and how devastating these things can be to a community. You see, this community is incredibly valuable, the church, but when we threaten it, when we treat it with dis disrespect and don't face it the way that we're intended to, then that can become harmful to the community. And so what now? What I believe Jesus desires for us to know, the community he calls us into, is not a place where we have to pretend. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. We shouldn't ever do that. You see, the story could have been so different if they would have just told Peter, you know, we're only going to give half the money or a quarter of the money or 75% of the money. But instead, they, they tried to make it look like they gave just as much as Barnabas did. And that's where they went wrong. And for Peter, I don't think it's really about the money. It's actually more about dishonesty here. Pretending is what gets them all fired up, lying to them and the Holy Spirit, lying to God as he puts it. And so if you sell your land and you want to keep all your money, well, that's fine. If you sell your land and agree... Well, we, we would take some of it. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but if you sell your land and agree to give the money to the church and to those in need, well, that's fine too. But whatever you do, don't come in here making a show of your generosity giving us the impression that this is all of your money that you made on the sale, when in fact it isn't. And that was the difference in this story. You see, 
Few things will kill the life of community faster than pretending. Think about that. And so it, it was never all about the money, was it? Rather, it was about participation. It's about a new kind of world. It's about each of us doing our part wherever we are to contribute to the common good in the same way that Ananias and Sapphira tried to pretend to be something better or holier than they were. There's the opposite of that, too. There's another way, I think, in which we could wear masks in the church. And I think that's worth mentioning just for a moment before we end here. And that is to pretend all the time that we're okay and that we're good and that we got it together when sometimes we in fact don't. I think for too long we've allowed so much of our interactions in the church sometimes to just be shallow and to be surface. Sometimes I think Christian community can almost seem a bit fake sometimes. Our exchanges sometimes can fall into, well, how are you today? Oh, I'm great. I'm blessed, doing amazing. Um, you know, how are you? God bless you, right? When, when, when all along, perhaps who knows what's happening in our hearts at that time. Maybe we are feeling the tension of life. Maybe we are struggling. Maybe we are feeling the challenges of balancing work, family, life, a pandemic as we're in right now. And maybe the most honest thing we can do sometimes is just go to our brothers and sisters and be honest and, 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 and let them know how we're really feeling. I think some of us get the idea that most Christians have it all together and that most Christians don't have problems or, or worries when in reality, I think we all experience challenges fairly regularly. I remember um, moving in with a couple for a few weeks when I was transitioning to a new pastoral role. And I was by myself. Um, Nick was going to join me later on. And I remember meeting this couple and having dinner one night. And I was talking to um, the lady. Um, and, and I remember chatting with her about just, you know, my life, my family, our situations, our struggles, struggles that we were even having in the moment. And I remember at one point in the evening, she looked over at me across the table and went, oh, good, you're not perfect either. <laughs> and, and, I, I, and I'll never forget her saying that. Because she went on to tell me that, you know, when we knew we were having a pastor coming over, I felt like, you know, we had to get, make things look a certain way. We had to make things appear a certain way. And I just think to myself, no. In, in, in the Christian community, we can be honest with each other as well, even about the things we struggle with. Amen? And in the same way that we shouldn't pursue our agendas and wear masks that make us appear better than we are, we also shouldn't feel the need to act as if we have it all together either and wear the mask of happiness or silence or, you know, when we could really use a brother or sister in Christ to help us, to love us, to encourage us. And in true community, we can be honest with one another and we can pray for one another and we can carry each other's burdens and I think Christian community in all of its sense calls us to honesty. That we shouldn't have to wear masks and we shouldn't have to make excuses for how we're feeling and what's going on in life. I've heard it said this, that the two most important components to any community where transformation is the end goal are vulnerability and accountability. And it's also said that there's no, there can be no vulnerability without risk but there can also be no true community without vulnerability. And so what does that mean? Well, when you're vulnerable, you put yourself out there. You put yourself out there. You can get hurt sometimes. You can get ridiculed. You don't know how the other person's going to react, which is why I always encourage people, when, you, when you're vulnerable, be vulnerable to someone that you can trust, that you can trust has your back. The church in Acts 4 and 5 would have been that kind of community where you could have been vulnerable. 
And so there's no vulnerability without risk, but at the same time, true community can't happen unless we are vulnerable with one another, unless we are honest with each other. And we'll never have deep community without vulnerability, but just surface level stuff. And I believe that God has given us the gift of the church, the ecclesia, as is mentioned here first in Acts chapter 5, so that we can be there for one another, encourage one another, help one another. And I want to make just a little plug here for neighborhood groups. I believe neighborhood groups that we have here in our community are places where you could find this kind of community. And so I encourage you to look into that and join that and, and become a part of that. But community calls us to accountability. It calls us to authenticity. The aim or community of the aim of community or the church isn't what's in it for me, but how we could also be a blessing to each other. And so in the end, I think Luke wants us to know that the resurrection of Jesus eventually led to a community of loving and honest people who gave themselves to the well-being of each other, doing whatever they needed to do, making sure that everyone had their needs met. They had the Holy Spirit in their, in their presence, in their midst, leading them to believe that a better world really is possible when we do our part. And so in light of our text tonight, I want to encourage you, always be honest. Don't act like you always have to have it together. Go and take care of someone else's needs if you're able to. Encourage and challenge one another. Be vulnerable, be accountable. But more than anything, don't pretend you're more righteous than you really are either. Because that'll hurt you. Thank you, Pastor Jordan. Good, good instruction from this portion of Scripture. And, you, and you'd think, man, this would be the end of the church. Everybody would be afraid to come because people die in it. But verse number 14, I think it is, says uh, people just kept coming and kept getting saved. So um, people don't want a God who is made in our image. They are willing to follow a God who is really God. So as the worship band comes, let's stand and just pray together. Oh, Father, church is humming, but... Lord, examine our hearts tonight. Examine our attitudes. Father, we don't want to be marked with a great big but. We want to be everything you've called us to be. We don't want to be marked by death. We want to be marked by life. So come, Holy Spirit, do amongst us. Whether you're at home right now or you're in this sanctuary... Uh, wherever you are, come amongst us now, O oh Lord. Purify us, cleanse us, and make us people of life. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. first verse a couple times with us as a prayer.
physios And my hope is in you only In my heart you hold Cause you made this We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.